Welcome to Todd Talks, where I help you design your best life. Not the life that I designed for you, but the life that you desire. Today, I have with me Toby Travis, who is the founder of Trust Ed and a executive consultant with the Global School Consulting Group, among many other hats that he wears in the education realm. He Today, we are going to talk about leadership development and how and why leaders need to build and restore trust. And so, Toby, if you can give a little background on yourself, what it is you do and who you are, how you came to be, it, where you're at, you know, the little, the little version. <laughs> right, the Reader's Digest version. So um been working in education for quite a number of years now and in, in a variety of roles, currently superintendent of schools uh, in North Carolina, and uh, also have served and assisted many other schools and organizations as a consultant, executive coach, um, uh, trainer, uh, et cetera. Um, so, uh, you know, that's the, my, my passion is leadership development, probably has been for many, many years. Uh, background is mixed. Uh, prior to coming to the world of education as a teacher and then as a school administrator and then consultant, uh, I was actually in uh, Worked in the nonprofit sector, worked actually many years ago in, in the show business world and actually produced uh, some touring shows. Uh, and actually, so, you know, we'll have questions for you about that because I was looking on your Instagram and uh, uh, and saw some of your memories. So, yeah. So, you know, a real mixed bag as far as, you know, the journey you know, if you would ask me back in the 1980s that I would see myself as a school superintendent, I would have like, what, are you crazy? Uh, you know, that was not uh, on, on the radar. But realizing and understanding the really critical importance of education and how really our future is walking the halls of our schools today and the real critical element that quality leadership has in developing what that looks like, um, that has really uh, shaped my trajectory of life, and I think where I am today. So there's there's kind of the short version. Well, that's awesome. Um, before we jump into the leadership things, what I saw in his Instagram was memories of years of performing as a magician. Yeah. No. So how long did you do magic? Uh, well, magic was part of it. So that kind of got me started as a kid. Actually, I, I won a bunch of awards back as a teenager. And so I had kind of an early start. I was doing school assembly shows. Uh, I think I was 14 when I had my first professional gig, as it were, uh, and then ended up um, producing a variety show in, in my young adult years. Also grew up in a musical family. So there was actually, I worked as a, as a backup singer and a studio singer for a few years, terrible way to make a living. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like substitute teaching for a living, right? It's, they, right. They, they pay you when they call you and then they don't call you for a long time. Uh, but it was a great experience. And uh, so I was on the road though, itinerant, 
uh, wearing a variety of different hats. I also did lectures for variety arts conferences. I've always had an education element. Uh, I wrote a little book called The Professional Amateur many years ago, which was really a handbook for aspiring performers. And so that had me on the lecture circuit for a while. So yes, magician slash illusionist slash producer slash small business in the arts trainer. And, uh, so a little over 20 years and also involved in, in Christian ministry in those years as well. Uh, so that is what opened up uh, a lot of doors for uh, kind of international activity was taking shows and producing programs that were actually helping uh, ministries that were launching in new areas. And so they would use this as a community outreach event. And so that was that was a big portion of what I was involved in as well. That's awesome. So what I gather from that is it got you very comfortable being on stage, being in front of a crowd, being that leader that needs to inspire others to uh, to do and to not, not just hear the lesson that you're teaching, but to actually put it into practice. And the the reason that the magician part caught my eye was when I was eight years old, um, my dad took us to, to a party in, uh, Hollywood and my brother and I were having foot races with David Copperfield on oh, the lawn of a, of a mansion in, um, in Southern California, that just a fun memory, oh, yeah. uh, very interesting. Cause my dad worked for a nonprofit at the time that David Copperfield had set up to, to help, um, people to, learn magic tricks as and in that way they would do their their physical therapy that yes, they needed right. to do right now and that that program has continued to today uh in fact uh, another uh, good friend of mine uh, continues that work as a really as a full-time therapist uh using right the art of sleight of hand uh for physical therapy you know it's a fascinating field and uh, and there are so many transferable skills from uh, from entertainment uh, to leadership, and and so yeah, and and also, you know, when we talk about show business, Todd, what a lot of uh, aspiring performers fail to realize early enough is you've got to be equally, if not more, adept at the business. Uh, part of that uh, than the show to to really make a living and stay. I know lots of very, very talented artists and performers uh, that will really probably never make it professionally as a career uh, without significant support from others who have the business skills. And uh, so, you know, I, I used to always say, no, I, I, and I never became a famous performer. It may be in very small circles. But what I learned is you don't have to be famous to be successful in the business of performing. You just no. need to be kind of a big fish in a little pond. You know, you need to have a, a well-defined market. You need to be very good at what you do in meeting the needs of your target client. Well, all of those are transferable skills and knowledge for running any kind of a business or even leading an organization. So, yeah, I have, I have a great deal of thankfulness for the opportunity I had in those years, got to see the world. Um, much of my work as a performer or as a producer was actually um, uh, 
seeing and doing shows on school campuses and university campuses. So literally I've had the opportunity to be on, I don't even know how many, but thousands of school campuses in about 27 countries of the world. And, and so my passion for education went along at that same time. And so I've seen, you know, so much of how education is done differently around the world that has really helped me in my consulting work as we're brainstorming and looking, well, what could be some other options um, that, that again, it's, it's, there's been lots of things that unexpectedly transferred into uh, my, my current career path. Well, I think you've hit something on, uh, hit like one of those key elements that people don't think about when it comes to leadership. And that is that the transferability of different aspects of your life. So for a lot of people, they go into an area and they have a very narrow focus. You know, maybe they want to go into business. So they go in and they learn business leadership and business this and business that and math and finance and accounting. But what really, when they get out in the workforce, what really ends up helping them is the time that they spent on the lacrosse or the football team yeah. and they they were the quarterback or the receiver or somebody and they had to talk their teammates through problems That's in order to win the game because they were down behind and that was actually what ends up transferring over and helping them the most in whatever it is that they're doing so i think you really hit a key element of leadership is broaden your horizons, broaden your education, because you don't know what tidbit from over here will transfer and really be beneficial over here in a completely different part of your life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, kind of embrace the moment, learn as much as you can, and 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 be open. Uh, and, and you'll be surprised the the doors that will open, the paths that that will take you. Uh, it's funny when I do trainings for school administrators. Now, one of the first questions I ask when we we get them in the room is I'll say, "Say, how many of you in your college or post grad work? This was your trajectory. You wanted to be a school principal or a superintendent." <laughs> No one raises their hands, right? It's like we all get here and we all get, and what that conversation goes on is we all get here because of our passion for, for students and learning and quality education. But uh, so many are, it's unexpected where we end up. And, and you've probably seen the stats. I mean, uh, it's, it's less than 20% of college graduates are actually working in a field of their completed degree. Right. Yeah, it's like that we we think we have a trajectory when we enter into college or university, but where we actually end up is is often very different. And as you said, it's often largely because of skill sets or power skills, they call them now, that we've developed uh, through extracurricular activity or athletics or community or church uh, uh, related work that we're doing that those those people skills is really what pays off in the long run for for many in their careers. Oh, hey, I I get it. I use the soft power skills in my day job right now, but I was trained as a pilot. That's my that's my uh, yeah. right. primary career field in the the military, but I'm working as a diplomat. So, it's a little bit different, but 
things from throughout my life have helped to give me those soft power skills to be able to do the job. Yep. So let I do have some questions for you um, since we want to talk about leadership development, right? And we we talked about that we'd talk about we'd talked about that we would talk about. Um, yeah, working on my English here. Uh, that we that a leader needs to build, maintain, and if necessary, restore trust. So first, let's let's start with how does a leader build trust? Well, I actually tell you before you get there, they need to assess it. Okay, and, you know this is a large part of the work that that I am involved in with uh, schools and organizations that I assist. Is the very first step is self reflection. It's put it's get the data. How are we doing? And, and that was part of my doctoral work was, you know, when we talk about trust, we often think about it again as just being a soft skill. But what we've identified, you know, there are very specific competencies and behaviors that trusted leaders embrace, are skilled at. Um, and sometimes they, they've developed them without even being aware that it's intentional, but most are intentional is what we've discovered. And so we know specifically what those behaviors are and what those, those skill sets or competencies are. And so we've developed a, a 360 tool to assess that, to give us some data. And then it's just one of, of multiple data points, but that's, that's our critical part. So again, I would say before you even look at how do we intentionally build it? Well, first you've got to <laughs> define it and assess it, you know, get a baseline of okay, where are we? And and then specifically start addressing um, the complexities of trust. You know, in in my book, uh, um, Trust Ed, The Bridge to School Improvement, and it applies to not just schools, but that is the the context uh, of, of where the book is written. But I use this analogy of a bridge because what we've identified through the research is there are six critical components of trust that all must be in place, that all must be interworking for high levels of trust to exist. So where we begin is, well, let's assess those six components. Where are we at? Because we need to know what to work on. And, and isn't the issue, Todd, I was just talking to somebody about this again the other day, was it's all about speed. How right. do we get better faster? Well, this is where data becomes really, really important to help us as organizational leaders uh, in developing our own skills and developing the skill sets of our teams is we need that data to help us identify, well, what do we need to be working on? And, and then when we use the data to drive our improvement plans and our action planning, it's like magic. <laughs> it's like, oh, you, you get this right and all kinds of other good things start happening. Uh, so I would say, again, the very first place to start is <laughs> Look in the mirror, get some data, uh, be open for others to speak into your life as far as what you're doing well and what you're not, and, and be honest and candid with that. Then we can start looking at, okay, what do we specifically need to do to build higher levels of trust? Okay. And you spoke about the uh, six critical components of trust, and what, what are those? Well, very quickly, uh, again, I, I use the analogy of a bridge to identify these because it is complex. Um, but if you think about a bridge as a foundation, so the foundation for trusted leadership is all about values and beliefs. Uh, are right. they known? Are they well articulated? Um, are they visible? Uh, et cetera. So we talk about those things. Substructure of a bridge is that element that connects everything to the foundation. In leadership, that is, are we supporting and connecting all that we do as an organization to 
our said values and beliefs to our foundation. In fact, uh, this is where we most frequently see trust falls apart is a leader or an organization that said, this is what we believe, this is what we value, but that in practice, it's not what they're doing. Right. And so, you know, that, that's, that's a critical element of ensuring trust is in place. A trusted bridge has what are called bearings. You see these in large suspension bridges. They are the moving parts that you might need to be aware of, but they're actually flexing based on the context of the day and the weather and the payload, et cetera. Well, in in leadership, the bearings of trusted leadership is all about the ability to be flexible. And what we've discovered is in order for leaders to be flexible, they also must be involved. So we we look at, okay, what does uh, that that critical element of involvement and flexibility look like. The girders of a bridge or those spins of those beams uh, that Mm -hmm. run underneath the bridge, these look different based on the bridge and its setting, its construction, its width, et cetera. So here, what we're talking about, the girders of leadership is our ability to contextualize and adapt. And this is different than involvement and flexibility. This is contextualizing to the unique needs of our location, our people, our customers, you know, whatever the setting might be. One of the struggles that large school districts have is they're trying to be equitable and create systems uh, that will work in every school. And unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. Every school campus is unique because um, the, the, the faculty and staff are unique. The, the, the students and families they're servicing are unique. The resources are unique. And so here, this, this critical issue of trusted leadership is a trusted leader knows how to contextualize and adapt best practice to their unique setting. Superstructure of the bridge is what you see most visibly, you know, as you're driving from a long distance. Well, what does that look like in leadership? It's all about culture. It's relationships. Right. Okay, so trusted leaders, they know how to uh, drive the narrative, right? You, you know, the old marketing line, if, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. Well, trusted leaders know how to tell the story. They know how, how to articulate that to drive intentional, positive culture. And then finally, the deck of a bridge, that part that we think is so simple, right? It's just a flat surface with some lines. Mm, trusted leaders know how to create order clarity. Uh, We know what our lane is. We know where we're going. We know what the markers are along the way. And this is the deck of trusted leadership, uh, the the competencies of of order and clarity. And then holding those all together and counterbalancing (laughs) all of that are the suspension cables. And here's where we get into the nitty gritty of best practices. Uh, Exactly. And we do know what those are. And those have all got to be connected to the bridge as well. And here's where we really focus on uh, the role of a team. A trusted leader is really one who knows how to mobilize a trusted leadership team and, and you know, let people uh, soar in their areas of greatest competency. Uh, you know, there's a Jim Collins frequently talks about, you know, his level five leader is mission passionate, but humble. And, and this is what we see in the most trusted leaders as well. So there you go. That's that's the bridge of trusted leadership. These are the components that we uh, would, you know, I recommend that you assess, you reflect on, and then you build um, based on, on that assessment, how to make that bridge all the more trustworthy. I like that, that analysis, that breakdown, the bridge of trusted leadership. 
And once somebody assesses that, then it's time to figure out where their weak spots are to work on. Correct? Exactly. Right. And that can be both as an individual. Well, it can be as an individual. It can be as a team. It can even be as an organization. So some of the work that I'll do for organizations is they'll they'll send me their HR manual or in schools, their school handbook. And one of the first exercises I do is I go through their policies to see, okay, what in their policy manuals or their procedures is based on distrust? You know, so, so what have we created systemically that's working against an environment of high levels of trust? So it's it's personal, it's team, it's organizational. Totally get that. Let me let me show you a perfect example that's not in education. This is in uh, the military. So I fly or flew the C one thirty Hercules. Flew it for ten years. Great airplane. Loved the airplane. The Air Force has it and the Navy has it. The Air Force manual of operations is about this thick. It's everything. If it's not written in the manual, you can't do it. It's it's a we don't trust you type of philosophy. The Navy has the exact same airplane. It's manual is that mm-hmm. thick, half as thick. And the Navy's philosophy is we tell you what you can't do. You figure it out. Everything else puts a lot more trust on the aviators, on the pilots. And so a lot of times those of us in, in the C-130 community, we would always think we would prefer to have the NATOPS, the Navy manual, because it gives you a lot more leeway to have that flexibility that you need, especially in wartime situations. Now, that's a great example. I mean, you're, you're probably familiar with uh, Carver uh, policy governance, or I'm sure many of your listeners are, but it's a it's a structure for setting up um, governance of organizations. It's mm-hmm. used in, in nonprofit as well as uh, the profit sector. But basically, Carver's theory is and, and practice is tell your CEO what he can't do, create the boundaries. You know, what, what are the edges of the sandbox? But then within the sandbox, let them go, you know, just go do it, lead. And, and what you find in those organizations, you have higher levels of innovation. Uh, you have greater cost effectiveness. You have higher levels of retention. Uh, I mean, just all these good things start happening when it's, it's less uh, uh, onerous, you know, on, on accountability factors. It's like, no, here, here are the boundaries of what we believe our, our leadership should function in, but within those boundaries, ah, go be as autonomous as possible. Worst leaders I ever worked for were the micromanagers uh-huh. that, yeah. that they not only set boundaries, but then they set boundaries within the boundaries and boundaries yeah. within the boundaries. Yeah. And, right. and everything had to follow a certain way. Absolute worst leaders I ever worked for were those, those and you micromanagers. Why they hired you. Todd, right? It's like if they don't trust you, what do they hire you for? You know, it's like it's it's to me it it frustrates me constantly when I see organizations uh, that I've been a part of or that I'm working with that that right they have all these accountability structures in place, and I'll say, well, why do you have that there? And they'll say, well, to ensure our employees are doing the right thing, and then it's like, well, 
well, then why did you hire them if you didn't trust them in the first <laughs> place to do the right? You know, and most of those accountability systems cost time and money to keep them in place. I can, you know, I've actually seen and been able to help organizations save a lot of money by, no, 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 get rid of that. Trust your people. And if you can't, then then maybe you need to look at hiring somebody else. Um, so anyway, that's no, no, that that goes that goes right along with what we're we're talking about because you that's talking about the organization. You know, if the organization can't can't trust their people, then but who really is what really is the organization? The organization is a group of leaders. Leaders, right. Over every organization technically is a pyramid. You have the boss boss, then you have the middle bosses, and then the lower bosses, and then all the, the other workers. And so every every corporation is a pyramid scheme. <laughs> but but the the thing is, without the people, it's it's just a name on paper. And so those people, the leaders need to learn to build that trust. And when they're micromanagers, they definitely will not be having lived as the worker underneath micromanager. You don't build trust with your people um, by not giving them free reign to build within the boundaries that you've set. I like the way you put that, building the sandbox, the the boundaries of it. So what what if somebody listening to this has, has been either a micromanager or poor leader because they didn't know what exactly what they were getting themselves into, maybe screwed up, which we all do. We all screw up. How do they restore that trust? Well, I I think to begin with, um, you have to look at kind of what's your paradigm, what's, what's your worldview? How are you operating as a leader? One of the exercises I will do with leadership teams or with organizational boards is they'll bring me their uh, their organizational chart, you know, that you just referred to as the, you know, the, the pyramid scheme. And I will challenge them to turn it upside down. So first of all, just perspective, what's the role and function of leadership is in most cases not, and certainly almost all cases, not to be autocratic. In fact, what we find is when leaders see themselves as resource people that, you know, so my job as a superintendent of schools is to make sure my principals are wildly successful. Right. right. That's that's my job. I, I'm in support is really now I get it. Organizational. I am, I'm at the top of the ladder. Right. But really, my job, my function day to day is to ensure my principles are successful. And because if they're well supported, well resourced um, and, and my, I see my job is solving their problems as fast as I can, then they are freed up to support their teachers and their mid-level you know, department heads, et cetera. And then they see their job as supporting uh, assistant principals and curriculum coordinators and uh, department heads so that their job is to ensure teachers are wildly successful. When, when we see that framework, this is then when we see the greatest payoff in student achievement levels and high levels of engagement. When you've got high levels of autonomy and well-supported teachers, 
you see well supported and 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 well engaged students. So the same, so where I would go back, okay, how do we restore? First of all, mindset. Do we understand what our job is? Our job is to be supportive, to solve problems, uh, to be an encourager, to make sure that we are all focused on the same vision, that we have shared values about what we're doing, right? And then there are very specific things that we can do to repair trust when it's lost. And there's a whole chapter on that in the book. Before you jump into that, I just wanted yeah, to, to, to jump in and throw out that what you are describing is a, a system of leadership, which I have always been a, a proponent of, and that is servant leadership. Yeah, servant leadership, right. Uh, servant leaders have all have historically been the most successful, yep. in, whether it's in an organization, a business, or a family. Yeah, right. You know, a lot of people that listen to this are, are not business owners, but they're family. But a servant leader, whether it's in a family, a group of friends, or an organization, when you're serving other people, that's when you actually have can have the most influence and be the best leader of that group. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there that yeah, I I am on board with what you're what you're sharing with us. So well, again, the, the truths are trans, I mean, they, 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 they apply, they're, they're, they're universal, uh, regardless of your work sector or application, right? Whether we're talking about how do we raise our kids and love our spouses to how do we lead our organizations or businesses? Yeah. Yeah. I'm planning on, on writing a book in the next two years, which I'm, which I'm actually going to call decide, Learn how to lead yourself, your organization, and your family. But that's that's for future dates. So today, right now, we're we're jumping back into um, restoring trust. And you said that you have a chapter all about that, and we don't need to go into the detailed detail about it, yeah. but. At least give us a general framework, if you could. Well, I'll give you a, a specific principle, and this is a coaching um, technique that I, I use with uh, clients that I'm I'm coaching. But uh, it's not rocket science, and anyone can do it. It doesn't. You don't need to be a doctor. You don't need to be a therapist to do this. Not rocket surgery. Got this it. This is what it is. It's make promises and keep them. And what we'll talk about is, okay, what promises can you make to your team or to your organization that you can conf- that you can fulfill within the next five months? So we're not talking about long-term strategic planning. There's a place for that. Right. We're talking about, okay, what can you promise that will get this organization to a better place or get the work environment to a, a happier place uh, where people are more, uh, you know, excited about being a part of what you're doing, what can you deliver? What can you promise and deliver guaranteed in five months or less? Let's okay. work on that. And what we see is make a promise, keep it. Make a promise, keep it. Make a promise, keep it. This is how trust is restored. In fact, this is how trust is built in the first place. And uh, and the also more had- you do that, you know, the 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 greater or the deeper the level of trust and the more rapid it, it it is built or repaired. And the reverse is true. That's 
the opposite is the way you break trust. <laughs> right. Yeah. You make promises, don't keep them. Make yeah. a promise, don't keep it. Exactly. That's how you break trust. Yeah. 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 And you know, this is why we have to be very, very careful about you know what we what we put out there. Um, choose your words very carefully. You know, one of the again, one of the coaching techniques that I use is uh, make slow decisions. Now, make decisions. Don't avoid decisions, but make slow and careful decisions, uh, and, and just understanding that in the role of leadership. Um, it is it is crucial that what we say we are, what we say we believe, and then what we say we are committed to, it's all consistent and and that we carry through on that. And when we do, again, <laughs> you find a level of, of allegiance, you find loyalty, you find people who will come alongside to help you be successful when they see that kind of leadership. That's, that's where they want to be. Uh, and I've seen time and time again, people will stay in an organization or a school or a business with that kind of leadership regardless of compensation or benefits, because that they just want to be a part of that. And, you know, so when we look at what's going on right now with the great resignation and with the employment crisis, uh, well, what's the secret to retaining great staff or attracting others is provide trusted leadership. People want to be in those organizations. Well, I, I think people want to, people want to be a part of something. They want to have a purpose and an organization that gives them fulfillment, that sees them as individuals, that doesn't see them as just a number, sorry, army, (laughs) but that sees, sees them as just as individuals and allows them to express, not just express, but grow into the person that they are. Yeah. Or that they want to be a, a company that allows them to do that. People will fight to stay in that company, even as you said, with a great, great resignation going on and everything. A lot of that's due to years and years and years of poor leadership that have only cared about either the money or, or basically thought of their people as numbers and therefore didn't think of their time. And with the ability of people to earn money on the internet nowadays or to, to work from home, they look at that and say, why am I going to spend 40 years of my life or 40 hours a week or more, if you're a lawyer, 100 hours a week mm-hmm. in an organization that does not respect me? Right. They will walk out the door. Yep. I'm working on, on airline applications right now. And one of the big things that we talk about or that they talk about in the hiring process is that it's a two-way interview. Not only are they interviewing you to see if you will be a good fit for the company's culture, but you're interviewing them to see if they're the kind of culture that you want to be a part of. Yeah, there's a great book that's out there called Choose Your Boss. 
And uh, you know, I think that this is a great concept that we all need to understand that, right, especially those who are still fairly early on in their career or maybe transitioning is, um, yeah, choose your boss. Choose, yeah, think about, yeah, who do you want to work for? Um, because we become the people that we we spend time with that uh, what, what is it? there's a there's a theory on that that, that talks about um, you know we we become a reflection of the five people we spend most of our time <laughs> with right yeah right I I, so, I quote that one all the time it's one of yeah. my favorites because because it's so true the the law of attraction states that you become most like the five people that you hang around with. So if you hang out with millionaires, you'll be you'll most likely be the sixth millionaire. If you hang out with deadbeats, guess what? You're probably going to end up being the deadbeat. If you hang out with you know people that lie, cheat, steal, etc., guess what? You're probably going to start acquiring in your life. Right. And so you have to be selective about who you surround yourself and that includes family. Right. That's hard. A lot of people say, well, we can't not hang out with them, their family. But if they're poison in your life and they dra- they're dragging you down, maybe you don't spend as much time with them. Indeed. Yeah. So I really like the, this concept. I love the servant leader concept because... Being a servant leader allows you to build the trust with the organization. And if you didn't start it, if you started out as many do when they're new, as kind of an autocratic leader, because they suddenly get some power and it goes to their head. Mm-hmm. And so they went from being one of the guys or one of the teachers or one of the right. Right. to suddenly to a leadership position. And suddenly, without thinking about it, they're they're dictating. You have to do this. Yeah. How do you, how do you help? Cause I'm sure you've seen this in schools. How do you help the person that the power has gone to their head to get out of that mentality and recognize that no, being a leader actually means you have more responsibility to be a servant to the, to those underneath you. Well, actually Todd, my experience is I can't, I can't help that individual until they've, and, and mostly what happens is they come to a point of crash and burn, right? Yeah. Uh, there has to be uh, a crisis uh, that happens. And, and most frequently, yeah, when, when, when organizations or schools are reaching out to me, you know, being a trust expert, they've, they've already self-diagnosed that there's a problem. And uh, so most of you know, the, the folks that I'm working with, they, they're, they've already had their crisis. The reality is the individual that you just described, uh, we can't help them until they have that wake up call where they realize, boy, why can't I keep staff? Why, why do I keep you know, losing my job? Why, why do companies not retain me? You know, they, they've got to get to a point, And that's why I said it starts with self-reflection. You've got to be able to say, oh, I need help. I, I, I'm not perfect at this. I need others to speak into my life. Uh, you've got to get to that crisis moment and, and then we can't help. But until you're there, no, nah, you, you can't help them. I know. I, I asked the question a little bit tongue in cheek because 
it, it's true. Unless somebody is willing to change, they, yeah. they won't even recognize that they have a problem. Exactly. And uh, I like what you said that they have to have a crisis moment. A couple episodes back, I talked to uh, another um, personal development instructor, uh, executive coach, and we talked about the fact that when his personal crisis that he had to go through, he had to find the basement below rock bottom Yeah. in order to finally recognize that he was actually the problem and needed to change and that it wasn't everybody around him. And we all, my personal, you know, I've had multiple crisis crises over the years where I had to hit rock bottom and realize that it wasn't those around me. It was me that needed to change. Same Same here. And, and if you're human and you do have some introspection, you, you'll have those moments. And those are, those are the moments when you can grow the fastest. Right and improve your life the most. So you can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. We, we know that we got that, but for the guy or gal that's hit rock bottom, that's in the crisis, they begin their introspection. That's going to bring up a lot of demons. I think now, how do you help them? mentally get over those demons to let those demons go. I know, I know I have my methods that that I teach. I just want to know your, uh, your methodology. Well, I'll come back to that, that speed analogy. I was starting to kind of share that I I got a little sidetracked, but um, to me, organizational personal improvement is all about speed. In other words, let's identify fast wins. Because what, what, you, what you see is when individuals or organizations uh, start building frequency of wins, and, and here I'm talking about everything from uh, you know, personal behavioral practices and organizational improvements, the more wins we have, it builds habit, it builds culture, it, it, it restores my mental and emotional health and well-being, right? So if, if I'm drowning in negative self-talk, but I can start seeing incremental wins, and this is why, again, in the coaching cycles, we'll, we'll talk about, okay, uh, what, uh, what we talked about earlier as far as what promises can we make and deliver? I'll keep it even shorter. So, okay, what can we promise and deliver on the next three weeks? Right. Let's get this done as fast as possible. And, and so it may be a small win, right? It may be, you know, I can I can provide my direct reports Starbucks every Friday. <laughs> right? This is a promise yeah. I can make and I deliver. And I know that sounds small, but it's okay. Let's find some a win some is a win. A win is a win. So I, I think to your question, that that what is that strategy, that process, that technique look like? It's no, let's let's find wins and get them and and and, and start building a culture of, of positivity, of health, of support, of gratitude. You know, you're you're probably familiar with the, you know, the studies that have come out on the happiest people on planet Earth are the most, are the grateful. most grateful. Yeah. And so how do we build a culture of gratitude? 
And you, you know, so many people, you know, they, they want and are pursuing happiness. So like, you know, like it's a drug. Well, the secret to that really, again, it isn't rocket science. It's all about mindset. It's okay. Let's go back to, you might remember, you know, the Pollyanna story. Uh, now I'm dating myself, but you know, hey, I've seen it many it's times. A, it's so there's a real life lesson there. Uh, that we all need to know and and go back to and reflect on and ensure as a practice in our own lives that when we are faced with challenges, circumstances, disappointments, where, where's the glad game here? What what can we identify that we're glad about? What, where can we find gratefulness? Building that culture intentionally um, really does make a difference in how people work together. Um, we see higher levels of collaboration. We see higher levels of innovation happen in those kind of environments. So it, it's not just pie in the sky, la di da. No, this turns into money, Todd. <laughs> this turns into successful business and organizations when we create those kinds of environments. Oh yeah, because happy workers, grateful workers, yeah, will produce a lot more. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I've I've or seen less. I've seen yeah. office space a number of times, and the the line that always goes through my head is, "Well, Bob, I'd say on an average day, I work about fifteen minutes of good, <laughs> real work, and it's because it's a it's a comedy, but it's it's all about how awful the office environment is." And uh, so they're not willing to do put any effort in. So I really have enjoyed this. Now, should somebody want to get your book or get into your program, how would they uh, contact you? How would they? And the link will be posted down below in the show notes. But how can they find you? The book Trust Ed is available on Amazon. And so just you can just put in the name of the book or my name and, and that'll that'll pull you up there. They can connect with me through LinkedIn. Again, Dr. Toby Travis. And um, also the website is trustedconsulting.org uh, or trustedschool.org. Uh, either one will get you there. And uh, you can find a list of services and resources and contact information uh, through uh, any of those sites. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure, Todd. Thank you for the conversation. I have appreciated it. So this has been Todd Talks, where I help you design your best life. And if you liked what you heard today, subscribe, leave a five-star review. Todd Talks are available on Apple, Spotify, everywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can find... Toby Travis at the locations and the links down below in the show notes. Thank you for your time and have a blessed day.